Well, one of the things that I love about getting to pastor is I just getting to see your lives. I get to make these little notes about commonalities and themes that I get to see. And one of the things that I think that is very common in all of our lives is that we all long, myself included, we all long to be noticed. To be noticed. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, when I was a small child, I have memories of, and I have memories of my mother telling me that I did this, that I used to pull the little orange ottoman out and jump up and down on it in front of my parents and basically scream, look at me, look at me, look at me. I long to be noticed. I have three daughters, the youngest of whom is my dear Iris. She's my hot mess. Um, she's crazy, and uh, she's sassy and saucy these days. One of the things that she likes to do is she puts on her older sister's princess dresses, and she walks out and she says, Dada, how do I look? <laughs> she wants to be noticed, right? Working with you all, I know this too. Um, I get to hear as I sit across from campus, I mean from uh, lunches and coffees, and I get to hear about one of the greatest sorrows in your lives. That, uh, that is the student's experience of loneliness, of loneliness. This is an often refrain that I hear year after year as I meet with you. College can be a lonely place. You literally have thousands of people all around you. You're involved in organizations and clubs. You live on dorms. You go out, with, you go out to clubs and baseball games. But in the midst of this, in the midst of all these people, not to be really seen, well, all the people seem to add insult to injury. Thousands of people around, and no one sees me. That might be common of your experience, the, the longing to be noticed. And it goes down the line, too, later in life. Now I'm married, and you know, we can, I can experience even loneliness in marriage. Uh, I remember a campus minister saying to me once when I was desiring to be married. I remember him saying this, he's saying, you think you're lonely that it's lonely to lie in bed at night by yourself and you long to be married. There's a loneliness that comes to in marriage sometimes when you yourself are laying not only by yourself but with your spouse. There's a loneliness in marriage. And one of the greatest and saddest things can be the elderly dying in their home or in an assisted living place with family and friends having long forgotten them, paying them no attention anymore. The desire to be noticed. It's interesting here as we consider these particular proverbs, that these particular proverbs are actually talking about being noticed. We're going to consider something tonight, something that you, most of you, have probably not ever thought of, and that is the idea of vain glory. Vain glory. That's one word. We're going to look at it a lot tonight. But why do I, what's the connection between the longing to be noticed and, and vain glory? Well, it's very simple. God has actually made you to be noticed. He's made you to be seen. He's made you to have, to be the object of, of someone's gaze. And yet that can go all wrong. It can go bad. It can go crazy on us. And it, can, and it can drive us to do things that we never thought would be imaginable. And so tonight, I want us to take a look at the topic of vain glory and what the Proverbs say about honor and glory in particular. So you saw that theme coming up over and over again in these Proverbs. And so tonight, I just really have kind of three headings for us. One, first of all, what is vain glory? What is it? 
and we'll see that as well. And then we'll also take a look at it. what does it look like? And then thirdly, what hope or healing is there for the vainglory us? Okay, so let's take a look at this. First of all, what is vainglory? Look at those first two Proverbs there on your sheet. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. And this says, verse 4-8, prize her highly, the her. Remember in the book of Hebrews, wisdom is personified as a woman. And what it's talking about there is wisdom. So we could say, prize wisdom highly, and she, wisdom, will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. Throughout these Proverbs, you've seen the word honor and glory and praise show up. And with the exception of the very last, excuse me, proverb, the word is the same in the Hebrew, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But first of all, we need to understand, if we want to know what vainglory is, we need to actually understand the word. So let's break this down for just a moment. What is glory? We're going to start with the back side of it. What is glory? Well, in many ways, this is a word that the culture uses, but we rarely stop to think about what it means. I think if you've grown up in and around the church or if you've grown up around religion of some sort, it might be a very familiar word to you. In fact, in Christianity, it is applied to God Himself. Now, the word for glory is is the Hebrew word kavod. And that just means a heaviness, a weightiness, a, um, a sense of mattering. I think I've used the illustration before. Uh, I think, I can't remember who the athlete was, but on the Steve Harvey show. Uh, you know who Steve Harvey is, right? The talk show host. He, he had a show, you know, he's doing an interview with somebody, and I don't remember who the athlete was. It was Kobe or, you know, Shaquille O'Neal or something like that. And, uh, and Steve, and everybody's clapping and everything. And, and Steve was just silent, and he just looked at him and just said, Man, you large. You're large. That's glory. That's weight. That's mattering. That's significance. So in three five, when you see it there, that we're told that honor will come to the wise. In other words, those who follow the way of wisdom will have conferred upon them a significance or an honor. That's what it's talking about. Moreover, this glory, you have to see, is a good thing. That's what the Proverbs are telling us. Look at verse 4-8. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. It's seen as a good thing. And this is actually true of the way Jesus speaks about this as well in the Sermon on the Mount later in the New Testament. He says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. A positive speaking of glory there. So live in such a way that your good works might be seen and that they would give glory to God. Now we often think of this word though in a religious sense. It does show up in our broader culture. I don't know how many remember the movie that came out several years ago now, but it was that graphic novel movie called uh, 300. And it's the story of the Spartan army, and they're facing this Persian army, and their death is soon. You know, it's one of those sort of things. And so it's dudes in their underwear walking around and everything. And at one point, they're facing this, this oncoming army, and King Leonidas, who uh, is played by Gerard Butler, I think, uh, he, he's, he's giving this rally cry for them to fight. What does he say? He says, Spartans, prepare for glory. What is he saying? He's saying there's something you will matter after your death. That's what he's trying to get you to see. Also, you might see, this, <coughs> say it, see it like this, that when Laura, my wife, walked down the aisle at our wedding, <coughs> and there she was in her dress, and the music was playing, and we were about to say our I do's, well, that moment was full of significance and matter. 
and mattering. It was glorious. There's the picture there. Think of brilliant works of art and culture. Think they matter, right? Think about being at the precipice of the Grand Canyon and seeing it all or watching the sun go down on a Hawaiian sunset. And you just begin to get a sense of something weighty. That, my friends, is what the Bible is talking about when it talks about glory. So what about this idea of vain or vanity? Most of you probably know that the word means empty, that it means hollow or without substance. And so the idea, therefore, is that vain glory is literally empty praise. It's empty, it's empty acclaim. And I love what the writer, Dr. Rebecca DeYoung, what she says, she writes as follows. Vainglory is the excessive and disordered desire for recognition and approval from others. Now we're getting somewhere. Because is this true of you? Do you begin to see this in your own heart and life? I know I do, right? Well, let's take a look at a little bit of where we, where we begin to flesh this out. Where do you see this in your own life? You know, I know I long for some set of eyes in the universe out there to look at me and to tell me that I matter. What about you? And where do you go to find that set of eyes? Better yet, think of it this way. Does it last? I mean, does it really answer the ache that's inside of us? I mean, how come the kiss of a boyfriend or the kiss of a girlfriend, why does that not last? What about this? What about the A on the paper? The applause from the play. The acclaim from your sport achievement. How come that always seems to fade like the setting sun? It doesn't last. You know why? Because it's praise that won't stand. It's vain glorious. The Bible is trying to tell us that these things can't deliver on what we so desperately need. We have a deep ache in us. We need a better smile, a greater, a greater set of eyes approving of us that will look on us and approve of us forever. And when we seek this in a thousand created things, we've tasted, we've known, and we can call ourselves vainglorious. That's the first point. What is vainglory? I hope you caught it. Is there hope for us? Oh, you bet there is. And we're going to get there. We're going to get there in just a moment. But before we do, we need to take secondly a look at how commonplace this particular vice really is in our lives. And the Proverbs show us, secondly, what vainglory looks like. Take a look with me as well at the Proverbs 25, 27. It reads as follows. It's not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. In other words, in the same way that too much honey is not good for you, it is, it is cloying, it will, it, will ta- it will ruin your taste, right? It's what, it's what your parents say, don't eat too much sweets, you know, you'll lose your appetite, you'll spoil it, okay? In that same way, to seek your own glory is not a glorious thing. And so it's telling us something that lies very, very central to what vainglory is all about, and it's this. This means that what lies at the heart of vainglory is the intentional seeking out of praise from others for ourselves. It is to get other people to notice us, and it is for, for, for who we are and for what we have done. Vainglory is similar to pride. You might remember our talk on this not too, not too long ago, in that it wants status as well. However, 
the vainglorious want to be acknowledged for that status. You see what I'm saying? It's different than pride. Pride says, I just want to be the best at something. Vainglory says, I want to be the best at it, and I want you to see that I'm the best at it. And I want to be praised and acknowledged that I'm the best at it. I want to be seen. It's about without acknowledgement, vainglory fades. That's what lies at the core of it, right? That's why it's saying you can't seek it. This is something that can be good and noble, an act well done, right? Caring for the poor, helping the sick, making an A on an exam, or receiving a particular internship. All of these things are good. But we've been caught in the vice of vainglory when we then want people to notice it and to praise it in us, right? So now do you see how close I'm getting? Can you feel me in your mail yet? Because think about the social media post, right? Are we posting this for love of God and for love of man or for love of Ryan? Look what I've done. Give me praise. I'm telling you, this this vice is particularly nasty because it's hard to get out from under it. Because the way that you think about it is, well, then I just won't, I just won't boast in my accomplishments. And then you want praise for not boasting in your accomplishments. You see how wicked and sinister this thing is? But Proverbs is going to tell us, unless we understand this, we won't grow wise in God's world. We just won't. Let me press in further. In our current cultural moment, it can be very, very common in this way. No, um, think about it this way. No good achieved, no ap- noble act, or no kindness performed. In other words, it's, you can think about it this way, that people are actually famous now for not doing anything. I mean, I, like several years ago, when the, when the, I can't remember the name of the show, y'all, y'all will know it, but um, oh, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, I think is what it's called. <laughs> think of the Kardashians. I, I literally had to ask my wife, okay, so what do they do? And she's like, oh, no, they're just famous. And I, I, you know, I know, but like what, like what did they do? Like what's their, what is their fame for? Now, I know there's a scandal there, so hang on with me for just a minute. But the point is, is this, that by and large, they're famous for being famous. It's empty, do you see? And, and, and vainglory is a desire in that way for fame. Because we believe that if we are somebody, if someone is praising us, then we are finally someone. But the praise is simply precisely because it is not rooted, because it, it's, it's destroyed the moment it's sought. Like, do you see how fickle this thing is? The Proverbs are saying, don't seek your own glory. If you do, you'll lose it. If you do, you'll never get it. Why? Because to do so negates and nullifies any legitimate praise that you would receive. Woo! I mean, this is like, any people pleasers in the room? Me? Just like me. Like, I don't... What do I got to do to get you to be happy with me? What do I got to get to do to make you praise me? It's just particularly sinister. That's the best way to think about it. Think about this. In 2010, Ryan Seacrest was host of American Idol. And he said this very quote, This... Everyone has the right to life, love, and the pursuit of fame. Think about that. Now, before you jump all over him, he is just reflecting the cultural moment that we're in. Listen very carefully to this. In 2007, 11 years ago, a study put out by UCLA showed something amazing. It researched the desires of future and, and the desires and the futures of preteens then. 
Do your math. Who do you think was a preteen 11 years ago? Raise your hand. That's y'all, okay? So listen, this research is about you, okay? Listen to what it says. So the point is, is this. The question was asked of these researchers. They said, how is the internet and social media platforms like Facebook and YouTube, Instagram came out in 2010, Snapchat 2012, they weren't out yet. How do they affect your particular age group? And you know what they found was this. The number one value being communicated by media at that time was, the va- was to prize fame. And they begin to ask the question, is this actually sinking in in these preteens? Is this sinking in in you? Ready? Now they wanted to see that if those desires were being communicated to the hearts and the wants of, the desire of those that were being affected by this media. And, one, and the researchers write, and I quote, I'll explain it to you. We examined whether tweens were picking up on these messages and that research was just being published in the, in the, in the publication called Developmental Psychology. We wondered if the synergy between the fame-oriented content of popular TV shows, here it is, and the opportunity to post online videos and status updates for, quote, friends and strangers, if that created the perfect storm for a desire for fame. In our discussions, we asked preteens what they wanted in their future. Their number one choice, do you know what it was? Fame. My generation grew up thinking, what do I want to be when I grow up? Fireman. Physician. Attorney. Do you know what y'all's number one answer to that question is? I want to be famous. Vainglory. That's what it looks like. Now, I'm not saying that's true of you. I'm saying in general, those are the themes that the researchers shot and saw. And it's just, it's very, very striking. Here's the last thing I want to say about this particular point. If you are a Christian, I'm not talking to my non-Christian friends right now, but I want you to see this is particularly dangerous because it exists not only out there, but it exists in here inside the church. And it is something that we must reckon with and deal with with all severity. Here's what I mean. Because in the church, it's often, it, it's called celebrityism. Where certain pastors and people, it's about big names. It's about Twitter followers and so on. And while it ought to, while our ministries ought to long for people to know, know the gospel, Christ calls us to the right methods for doing so. If our methods are rooted in vain glory and fame, then we must rethink how we are going about Christian mission. Do you know this? You can literally buy a million followers on Twitter for $1,350. I checked it out today. You can be Twitter famous for a And then you can be known as what? Twitter famous. But it's empty. It's empty. Listen to this. Bigger is not always better in the church. And I want you to think, I want you to really think, do I want to be a part of something just because it is big and cool and the thing to do? This is problematic for two reasons. One, it is driven by a desire to not be seen with a small or little or because you're backing a, a losing horse, which is just not true. And secondly, it only furthers and enables a celebrity culture in churches and ministries, which must be rooted out. 
Is bigger always morally compromised? Of course not. My gosh, there are gospel-centric, gospel-preaching, gospel-sending churches out there that are large and they're doing great ministry work. My point is, is this, know yourself. Know your heart. Big and cool and famous wins high school. It does not win the kingdom. And so I, I want you to ask yourself that question. If you are a Christian, what am I seeking? And am I, and am I helping promote and establish vainglory and celebrityism within the very house of God? Here's the thing. If that is you, there's hope for you. Because you know what? Jesus' disciples struggled in the same way. There's an episode where two brothers named James and John, the writers of our New Testament, came to Jesus and they basically said this, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, give us the famous seats. Give us the best seats. And he's like, are you kidding me? If you want to be great in the kingdom, here's how you do it. You go down. You serve. And you love in that way. There's greatness. Anybody can be great in the kingdom. You know that? You can be famous in the kingdom. Here's how it is. You just can't go for, you just can't go for fame. You have to go down. You have to serve. And the Apostle Paul says that too in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he's talking about love. And he says, if I speak in the tongues of men of angels, if I give my body over to the fire, and he says, but if I do all that, if I preach with thunder, but I don't have what? Love? I'm nothing. You want to be great in the kingdom? You love. That's how we find it. That's how we, and Jesus says over and over again that that's the case. So I'm going to keep moving to my last point because I really do need to begin to land the plane tonight. Vainglory looks like seeking attention and renown for oneself. It is to be seen and applauded, however great or small. It is the doing of good things for praise, not for the doing of the good itself. And it is a desire for fame as the highest good. And all of this, friends, needs healing if we're going to grow wise in the world. And so we take our turn now to the last little bit here, the hope for the vainglorious. The Proverbs tells us that real honor is on offer to us. But how can we get it? Well, you find it right there in 21.21. Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. And again, the proverb right after that, 22.4, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Those two words there, honor and honor. Again, that Hebrew idea of kavod. But we've already said that so, so many of our attempts to get praise are actually not rooted in kindness. They're not rooted in righteousness. They're not rooted in humility and fear of the Lord. They're rooted in our own praise. And in short, we've really been chasing fool's gold. Fool's gold. Let me think, tell you what I mean. When I was a kid, I was fascinated with cool rocks. Like little kid, you know what I mean? And I, I never had the rock collection, but I was a bit of a little budding geology nerd. And one of the coolest rocks that I had was pyrite. You know what I'm talking about? Fool's gold. It's commonly known as fool's gold. Now, to the seven-year-old, it felt like gold to me. Right? It looked like gold. And I really wanted it and desired it. Why? I suppose it had worked its magic on me. I was a fool. The problem, though, was what? It wasn't gold at all. It just wasn't gold at all. And a life given over to vain fame is like chasing fool's gold. 
We want the real thing, but we're seeking after a valueless alternative. We desire real gold, as it were, but we'll take the fake stuff. But that doesn't meet our desire for the real thing, the real praise. And so the question is, if we want real honor, all we have to do is to seek what we already mentioned. Faithfulness, so on and so forth, right? Simple, right? Wrong. Why? Because none of us can actually do that. I mean, who lives lives that way? I mean, who actually lives a faithful life, a righteous life, a kind life without any flaws and lives that out perfectly in heart, in word, in deed, and in thought? Who in the world can live that way? And if we can't do that, how in the world, if we cannot meet those conditions, how in the world can we receive the honor that is promised to us? There's only one way. There's only one way. Real glory, real mattering can only come one way. It has to be received. It comes only as a gift. How? Here is how. On the cross, we are told that Jesus, that He was the only human with infinite glory, fully God and fully man together. In Him, Paul says what? That all of the fullness of deity bodily dwells. And He was the only one for whom, who truly pursued righteousness and kindness and humility and the fear of the Lord. And when He was tried by the kangaroo court, sentenced, whipped, and, die, and condemned to death, when He was nailed to the crossbeam of wood and bled out naked, it was there that He became a curse for us and bore our shame. He became nothing in value and rank in the world's eyes, and yes, was even rejected by God. And the glorious one, the famous one, the one to whom every knee will bow and confess lordship one day, this Christ was treated as the scum of the earth and regarded as utterly insignificant on our behalf. And in so doing, do you know what happened? You and me, and any who trust in Christ, because of that, receive the glory that He has. Not the fool's glory, but the real glory. The only glory that matters in the universe. And what is that? You see, the cross is a declaration, y'all, once and for all, that you matter. It's a declaration once and for all that the only eyes that matter in the universe see you. They see you warts and all. And they welcome you in. And they delight in you. Despite our sin, despite our failures and flaws, the cross, at the cross, your sins are paid for. And it is an answer to your deepest longing for you to know that you and your life are seen and that you are loved and that you are worthy. The cross tells us at the depth of our it tells us about the depth of our need that it actually took God dying for us. But don't you forget this. The cross also tells you that you are infinitely loved because it was God who died for you. He died for you. And that's the picture that you must walk away with. 
It is a picture of God's enjoyment and delight of us, or as Romans 5, 8 says, that for God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, not when we had our act together, not when we were perfect, not when we were crushing it with Him, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the best news you're going to hear tonight. It's the best news you're going to hear tonight. Christ died for us, and when He does, He gives us a significance that makes all the gold under the earth a mere penny. And when you see that, you can be free, dear friends, from seeking your own glory because you know you've got the only glory in the universe that really matters. In C.S. Lewis's famous essay, The Weight of Glory, he notes that because of Christ's work for us, we have our vain glory flattened. That we have the praise of the only one that made us. Why? Because God Himself delights to praise the very things that He is pleased with. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Let me say that again. That God delights to praise the things that He's pleased with. Just like you and me. If we love something, if it pleases us, we go what? Man, you've got to try this steak. Or, or have you seen that movie? We praise that which we delight in. Do you know what this is saying? God praises and gives, He gives you praise because He delights in you. He sings over you. Listen to what Lewis writes. Put it up on the screen. To please God. To be a real ingredient in the divine happiness. To be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or as a father or son. It seems impossible a weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. You see, here's the thing. You may not think that God sees you, but so it is. You may not think that God delights in you, but so it is. You might find it impossible that God Himself would give you a worth and a value that could never be lost, but so it is. Because there is a smile and there is a delight and there is a weight of significance that is given to you that if you only understood it and how heavy it really was, it would actually be too heavy for you to carry. But so it is, my friends. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would show us how much you enjoy us and how much you delight in us and how much you care for us. Would you teach us that in the cross we have what we so desperately long for. And we pray that you would put this deep into our hearts now. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.